This is Kat Klinga-Smith with Retro Crime. I grew up on the West Coast, so I use the word dude a lot. I recently found out that the meaning of it is a well-dressed or stylish man. That's good to know, because this historic crime is about Michael Ruminski, whose nickname was the Polish Dude. In 1898, Michael Ruminski was a 30-year-old Polish immigrant living in Allegheny City, which is now the north side of Pittsburgh. He lived on the third floor of a tenement with his wife, Joanna. The prior year, she had taken him to court for desertion and non-support. Six months prior to that, their only baby had died of pneumonia. The police suspected that it had been smothered, but they couldn't prove it, so no action was taken. In January of 1898, Michael smothered his wife, Joanna, while she slept. To conceal the crime, he lit their place on fire and vanished. The floors below him noticed the fire immediately, and it was put out before too much damage could be done to the corpse. The fire department's just right up the street there. The autopsy showed that she had been dead prior to the fire because she didn't have any signs of smoke inhalation. The police suspected that it was Michael Ruminski, and they suspected correctly. They also suspected that despite not living among the Polish community, Michael would probably hide there to blend in with his countrymen. Also, because so few of them understood English, there was less chance that they would read about his crime in the paper. The first place he went after he lit the fire was the Grabowski's house. Earlier that day, their child had passed away from illness, and the body was still in the bedroom. Michael went into the room anyway and took a long nap. I don't understand why the family let him. The police reported this to journalists so that the public understood how callous Michael was. After extensive searching, they found a man walking about who resembled Michael physically. They questioned him, and they were prone to believe him when he denied being their suspect. What they expected was a man who represented his income. They expected a man to look like he lived on the third floor of a tenement. Instead of weathered clothes like a ragamuffin, he was wearing top-of-the-line designer fashions. His hygiene, especially his hair, it was impeccable. If he hadn't been five foot six and light-haired, they probably would have passed him by, wondering why such a wealthy man was in the area. It was decided that it wouldn't hurt to bring the man in for questioning anyway, and at the station, Michael surprised them by being quick to confess. He was brought to trial, found guilty, and he swore to them that he would never see the gallows. He kept his word. Almost exactly a year later, in January of 1899, Michael did something its actually pretty brilliant. He ripped canvas strips off of the cot in his cell. He knotted them together to make a rope, which would be wrapped around his neck and tied to each side of the bed. The handle of his lunch pail was attached and used as a crank to tighten the rope and to suffocate him. A cup was fashioned to the end so that when he passed out, it caught and kept the rope taut. This way, when guards made their rounds at night, all they saw was a man in bed sleeping peacefully. By morning, his plan had succeeded. His body was brought to the morgue in the basement. There is no mistaking that he was indeed dead. Yet during this time, the guards received numerous complaints from scared inmates certain that they were seeing Michael Ruminski walking around freely in their unit. They claimed he was making ghastly faces at them. I'm, of course, imagining Large Marge. (laughs) When his body was checked on later, it had disappeared without a trace. Several months later, it showed up in an empty lot across the river on the south side. His ears and fingers had been cut off, possibly as a souvenir for the person or people who smuggled his body out. 
there was never an explanation for why his body was stolen and his fingers and ears cut off. However, despite his body being gone, part of him remained in that cell and was unwelcoming to new roommates. He terrorized them at night and continued to make ghastly faces as he lived out his afterlife sentence. Now the, the old jail where he lives is the family court. So if you're ever unfortunate enough to have to go to family court in Pittsburgh, make sure you keep your eyes out for a sharp-dressed man making ghastly faces at you. 